The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Partnerships, Changing the Game for Digital Transformation, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Yes, indeed, here she is. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. I promise you. What's the buzz on the street? Well, I found an interesting quote from Jim Barksdale. He's not the politician. He's the former CEO of Netscape. Listen up. Quote, if we have data... Let's look at data. If all we have are opinions, let's go with mine. I don't think there's a person on the planet who would like to say that. So what are we talking about here? The digital economy is transforming the way you run your business from personal and contextual awareness. What did he mean? What did she think? To Internet of Things connected devices from artificial intelligence, popularly known as AI, to predictive analytics Digital business can help you wherever you are, whatever your footprint of your company, however old or young or mature your company is, whatever industry you're in, it can help you achieve success, booming success. Who doesn't want that? So let's look at what's happening with Internet of Things in particular. By the year 2030, do the math. It's now 2017. That's a little over a dozen years away, coming at us. More than 50 billion devices from cars and washing machines to every refrigerators, everything in between, will be able to connect to the Internet and share information via sensors. That was, that's what the IoT is all about. So let's talk about your company's data. Will your data be ready? More important, will your data quality be ready? Will it be good enough for digital transformation and the Internet of Things? We're going to call it the IoT. Very important question. So our formal topic today is new digital realities. Does your data quality matter? I have a feeling we're going to come up with the answer very quickly into the discussion. Let me tell you who our panelists are, and then I will introduce them with their opening quotes. First up, and uh, let's see, one panelist is a returning panelist to Game Changers. The other two are new. So one of our newcomers today is Tobias A. Block. He told me I can delete the A after I say it the first time. He's a VP of Sales for North America at Accenture, and a shout-out to our good friends at Accenture. Joining him on the panel is a returning guest, Owen Pettiford, SVP for SAP Digital Transformation at a company called Back Office Associates Limited. We'll ask him what they do. And rounding out the panel, another newcomer, Paul Madai, M-E-D-A-I-L-L-E, a senior director at SAP. So let's go back to Tobias Block and let's see what he sent me for a quote. Well, here's a quote from Bob Seeger. American singer, songwriter, guitarist, and pianist. He was a locally successful artist in Detroit. He performed as Bob Seger and the Last Heard, and then he called himself the Bob Seger System. 
He eventually dropped the word system so he could riff with and, and jam with other bands, and then he put together the Silver Bullet Band. Aha! And he became very famous. He's a roots rocker with a raspy voice, and here's what's interesting. He wrote and recorded songs that deal with love, women, and blue-collar themes, and he exemplifies heartland rock. You may know him for Night Moves and Against the Wind, and he co-wrote the Eagles' number one hit, Heartache Tonight. Oh, my goodness gracious. Here is the quote Tobias has selected from Bob Seger's song, Against the Wind. Wish I didn't know now what I didn't know then. Tobias Block, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Bonnie. It's a pleasure Thank to be you here. For- Oh, we're delighted to have you. Love the quote. We love songs, song quotes. And this is a newcomer, Bob Seeger. I have to welcome him. And he's on Twitter at B-O-B-S-E-G-E-R, by the way, if anybody wants to tweet him. Uh, so, Tobias, how does this quote have to do with our topic? We're talking digital realities. We're talking data quality. And here you're giving us a quote from a song called Against the Wind. So why don't you do the do the math for me? How does it relate? So I think what Bob was was meaning to say when, when he said those words. Yeah, I think it was talking about how a stay naive keeps you positive, right? They're basically we're saying, I was naive, I was happy, now I'm not naive, I know the, the reality of the world and I wish I could unlearn what, I, what happened over the last few years. Um, you know, so yeah, naivety has, his, has its benefits, but I would take the, the polar opposite view and this is why I chose this quote. I think we need to embrace the changes that we have in the world, especially around business, especially around big data and artificial intelligence. We can try to bury our heads in the sand and say, let's stay naive. But in reality, what we need to do is accept those changes, deal with it, and leverage it. And that's the reason I chose that specific quote. Very, very interesting. I like the idea of naivete. And and let me just ask you to apply that a little bit further, Tobias, if you don't mind. Any company listening to this show today, whether they listen live, and by the way, what's today? We are live. It's Tuesday, April 11, 2017. And the show will be, the recorded version podcast will be up in a couple of hours after we're done. Anybody listening to the show, would they be best not to be naive about data quality? I'm asking you to answer our topic question very soon here. Uh, Tobias, what do you think? You can't be naive about that anymore, can you? No, you can't. You've got to embrace it. You've got to figure out how the data is going to fit in to the, the, the business. I wouldn't even call them business processes of the future. It's here right now. If you expect to leverage artificial intelligence, if you expect to leverage analytics and big data, there's no point feeding those you know, intelligence and those brain engines with crap data, you're going to get decisions which aren't going to benefit your business. So the first thing is figure out how to clean your data and then leverage the technologies of today. Thank you very much. Pleasure to meet you, Tobias, and love the quote. And now let's welcome one of our returning, our returning panelists today, Owen Pettiford, now at Back Office Associates Limited. And Owen has sent us a very interesting quote from Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland. And what's interesting about this quote, I'm going to give a little background here, Owen. You know I love to do this. It's quoting the Cheshire Cat in Alice in Wonderland. However, the Cheshire Cat is popularized as, as the owner of this quote, but the Cheshire Cat actually predates the novel by Lewis Carroll and his original name, his full name is Charles Dodgson, of course. So the Cheshire Cat was around long before Alice in Wonderland. So let me read you the quote, everybody. Here it is. If you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. Owen Pettiford, welcome back. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. 
Thanks for joining me. So talk to us about the Cheshire Cat. And you know the Cheshire Cat is famous for, at times, the body disappears and all that's left is the smile. I love that. <laughs> so so how come you picked a quote by a cat for a show about digital realities, Owen? Come on. Because I, I spend, my, spend most of my life creating roadmaps for customers as to where they're going and what they're going to do. Um, and I think it, it's absolutely key that you do know where you're going um, or literally any road will do and you'll, you'll end up you know, who knows where. So I think um, you know, in, in the context of this um, show, you know, data is a key part of, of that roadmap. So what are you doing with the data? Um, how do you know where your data is? How are you keeping it secure? How are you keeping it clean? So, so I guess it was a bit tongue-in-cheek to say, well, if you don't care about anything, then you just carry on where you are. Uh, but if you do, then then getting that roadmap in place and putting in um, executable steps to you know move towards um, uh, um, your future de- destination is absolutely key. So let's go back. Thank you, Owen. So let's go back to the Bob Seger quote Tobias Block has selected for us about naivete. So I think we're adding another layer of complexity here. If you want to be naive about it, you're not going to get there. You're not going to succeed. And if you don't know where you're going in the first place, that's even worse than just being naive and thinking data quality doesn't matter. Will you agree with that, Owen? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think just, yeah, you need to move. And what I like Tobias's quote, you know, um, yeah, you... you if you're naive, you're just going to blunder into the future and your competitors are going to not blunder into the future and um, and you're going to be out of business. Well, you can only hope, right? That's the goal. Okay. Thank you, Owen. Pleasure to have you back. And now let's welcome our third panelist. He is a newcomer, as I said, Paul Madai, Senior Director at SAP. And Paul has sent us a five-word quote that packs a punch. It's from John Burdett Gage, born in 1942. And what's famous about Mr. Gage is that he was the 21st employee of Sun Microsystems, where he created this phrase. He served as VP and Chief Researcher and Director of the the science office for a son until he left in 2008 to join Kleiner, Perkins, Caulfield, and Byers as a partner working on green technologies for global warming. I think that's a very interesting thing given our world situation today. He also helped build the Kibera Town Center, a major water and community education center in the middle of Kibera, Kenya, the largest slum in Africa, and he did that in 2012. He's also one of the co-founders of NetDay in 1995, a crowdsourcing effort to bring the Internet to every school in the world. So he's a real do-gooder. Here is the quote Paul has selected from John Gage. Quote, the network is the computer. Paul, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much. You know, that's a great introduction to John Gage. who's a fascinating guy and uh, a real do-gooder. He had an amazing career. And... Um, you know, while maybe this uh, this quote doesn't have the uh, the sweet subtlety that uh, Tobias and Owens quotes have, uh, great quotes. Um, but I love this because it's uh, more true now than ever before. A lot of the uh, a lot of the pioneers of the internet and the modern computing infrastructure, guys like like John Gage or or Nicholas Negroponte, these guys had insight so many years ago that is even more true today than it was when they first said it. And while this, you know, while this statement, the network is the computer, was certainly true when he said it uh, um, so many years ago, the fact is uh, it's more true today. You know, in your introduction, you talk about 50 billion devices by 2030. 
that just uh, that just emphasizes what John was saying about how widely distributed computing power is, how ubiquitous it is. You know, I think probably I have more computers in my car than uh, the Apollo uh, <laughs> space program had in its entirety. So, um, uh, really fascinating insight. And now, you know, it's not just when we think about networks, not just physical networks, but um, business networks, cloud, and uh, uh, distributed computing. Fascinating stuff. And, and you just got to shake your head with admiration at somebody who had that kind of insight that long ago. Uh- I agree. Gage was quite the guy, and the more I read about him, the more interested I was. He also joined the board of the Tegla Lorupe Peace Foundation, building a school and orphanage in a remote northwest part of Kenya. So his heart was definitely in the right place. Coming from corporate, amazing that he went in those those directions of do-gooding in a very, very concrete way. So thank you for introducing me to John Gage, Paul. Paul, I don't have anything more than senior director at SAP. Can you just tell me what the rest of your title is or what team you're working Work on? Yes, I work on uh, uh, the the um, enterprise information management strategy and go to market team uh, with SAP. So we focus on bringing our um, information management solutions to market. Thank you very much. And before I circle back to our first panelist and ask him, let's see who we got here. We've got, I was going to say Bob Seeger's on the line with us. Tobias, Tobias, before I get to you, uh, Owen Pettiford is Back Office Associates Limited a new gig for you? I don't remember your being there the last time you were on. Can you tell us what you do? Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a new gig. So the, the company I founded 10 years ago was purchased by Back Office Associates um, uh, 12 months ago now, and we are operating as their digital transformation practice, um, doing a lot of roadmaps for people. Okay. Thank you very much, and welcome back. And, Tobias, I'm circling around the table to you. This is the part of the show where we do a little storytelling, although through your quotes, the three of you certainly have already. And, Tobias, I'd like to know where you're calling from. Now, I'm not looking for the Google map coordinates of the roof of your house or your office. We don't want to get that up close and personal. But what general part of the world are you in right now? And what's in your cup? as you're talking to us on the radio, that makes you smile if it's just an icky drink or something you'd rather not be looking at, what would you love to be drinking that would make you happy? So, Tobias, talk to me, please. Hey, Bonnie. So, I'm calling from uh, what we call the true north, so in Toronto, Canada, where uh, I look outside my window and there's no snow and things are starting to finally turn green. So, I've got a big smile on my face because, you know, we have some pretty hard winters up here. Uh, Today, my cup, I'm, I'm just drinking uh, soda water, but uh, I, re- I just came back from vacation probably three weeks ago with my family to Costa Rica, and one of the, the things that make me smile was my, my youngest son, Ilan, who's, uh, who's four years old, was completely in love drinking a, a virgin pina coladas out of the coconuts, and he had a coconut named Wilson, if you remember the movie castaway there was a, there was a mm. volleyball that yes. a, that that yes that was nicknamed wilson and that was like his best friend so this you know this coconut shell has been Elan's best friend and he just loves drinking you know these virgin pina coladas he calls it, it he goes you know it's white like milk but it's really tasty so uh, <laughs> uh, you know that's what i keep on smiling about that we actually snuck the coconut back into canada i didn't declare it I'm sure it's, you know, not, not allowed, but either way, the Wilson, the coconut, is up in his room. 
Well, we're not going to tell anybody. Just the fact that you are here on Game Changers Radio, Tobias, and people are listening all over the world in places I can't even pronounce or spell the names of some of the places we see on our metrics. Nobody will tell the authorities that you snuck the coconut in. So we won't tell anybody, okay? It's just our secret, and I'm swearing... Owen and Paul, you're sworn to secrecy. So uh, all of these, Sammy Siddiqui is, is listening. Sammy, don't tell anybody, please, okay? No, we won't tell anybody. Thank you very much. So Tobias, that's great. Uh, Owen Pettiford, where are you? And what are you drinking or what are you thinking about drinking? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, we can. Go ahead. Where are you? What are you drinking today? Okay. Uh, yeah, so, um, so in my cup, I'm, I'm, I'm in the UK and pretty much if you stuck a pin in the middle of the UK, that's where I am. And uh, in my cup is uh, a cup of tea at the moment, which is very English. Um, but uh, what I plan to have in it is a cup of my home-brewed cider because it's uh, now quarter past five in the UK. So, so following this call, I shall be going out and partaking in a glass of cider that I brewed myself from my own apple trees. Oh, I like that a lot, from your own apple trees. Thank you very much. Yes, my mic fell down. I apologize, guys, and I just raised it up. So just heard from Kevin that they couldn't hear me. I apologize. Uh, Oh, that's very interesting. Thank you. We had a guest uh, about two weeks ago, Owen, uh, said he was drinking water, and we asked what was so special about the water, and he said that he had dug a well in his yard, and he was having local well water that he was drinking, and we were talking about the reputation of various parts of New York. I'm here on Long Island, but about two miles just west of me into the New York City border, I think Queens brags that they have really good tap water, and I don't know if I could brag the same way. So very interesting. You've got apple trees, and this guy, I think he was in India. He uh, he had dug his own well. So that was the first time we had somebody who was dipping into the well for his own water. Thank you, Owen. Paul Madai, where are you, and what's in your cup today? Hi, I'm in uh, Eugene, Oregon, in the Great Pacific Northwest, and in my cup today, I have uh, organic, fair-traded French roast coffee, uh, as I do every morning. Sounds delicious. I have to tell you something. I lived in Eugene from 1976 until 1984 when I came back to my roots here in New York. I don't think I told you that on our prep call, did I, Paul? Uh, I think you did mention it, but I think you're very lucky to have spent some time in Eugene. It's a wonderful place, and I love it. That's um, right. Yep, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So um, a little story about coffee. You know, I thought about this, uh, and um, since we're talking about partnerships today, I thought uh, I'd tell a story really not about me, but about one of our partners, um, actually back office associates, with whom we've been working for the last few years very closely. Ah. Yeah. So we were in a uh, in a meeting at their offices um, near Washington D.C. One of their offices near Washington D.C. Once one of these all day meetings, we had several people from our team and several people from the the back office team, including Rex Alstrom, who is their uh, chief strategy and technology officer and a great guy, really talented software executive. But you know how these meetings are: two o'clock in the afternoon, everybody's getting a little cross-eyed, so we take a coffee break, and it turns out that Rex Alstrom is an absolute maestro of the espresso machine. He's got ah. his espresso machine perfectly tuned, and, I mean, who even knew you could tune an espresso machine? But he's got the water temperature perfect. He explained to us everything. And it turns out that he brews an amazing cup of espresso. So um, 
<laughs> I'll tell you, uh, it's a shame that he's such a good software uh, executive because uh, <laughs> the world lost a, a great barista when he went into uh, the software business. Well, I tell you what, he always has a good, uh, we won't even call it a retirement, a second or third or 23rd career when he wants to leave software, and he could probably do some amazing computing on some calculations and digital realities on how coffee data matters. Thank you, Paul. And yes, I do remember telling you, I was in Eugene living there when they built the, the uh, what was it, a conference center? Uh, it was a uh, concert hall, conference concert hall. center. A beautiful in, in concert hall, amazing. Beautiful. I think it's nicer than Davies in, in San Francisco. It's gorgeous, and I remember that we had what we used to call tree huggers, and they didn't want some of the trees removed from the streets where this beautiful conference center was being built, and they actually physically stood there on the sidewalk or in the street and hugged the trees <laughs> to try and get the construction workers to not. And what was fascinating about the conference center, I don't know if this is the first place to do it, but they had a... a Somebody who sculpted in brass or bronze create people and objects embedded into the concrete between the seats and in the rows of the of this concert hall. So when you sat in a certain row, there was an umbrella lying on the floor that you wanted to pick up and bring to Lost and Found and say to them, somebody forgot their umbrella. But when you went to pick it up, you realized it was bronze and it was embedded in, in the edge of the concrete. So it was a permanent sculpture. Do you remember those, Paul? I, you, must- I, you know what? I haven't been in those rows. I'll have to, I'll have to check that out now. Go take a look. It was very interesting. I'm sure it's still there. It wasn't going anywhere fast, obviously. <laughs> Thank you for the good memories. And everybody, if you're wondering, I'm drinking cool, clear water in a cool, clear mug because they do not let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days. And I just did another Game Changers one hour ago. So it's a doubleheader day. Thrilled to be here. It is supposed to reach, let's not jinx it, 80 degrees here on Long Island in New York, and I hear the weather is similarly magnificent up and down the East Coast, probably reaching up to Boston unless they still have 10 feet of snow, I don't know, and maybe down to Washington, D.C. So wishing everybody a magnificent day here on April 11th. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, thrilled to be talking with Tobias A. Block at Accenture. See, that A keeps coming back, Tobias. Owen Pettiford at Back Office Associates, Paul Madai at SAP. And now I'm going to talk to my engineer in just a second after I say, don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We're coming back with a lot more. The topic today, new digital realities. Does your data quality matter? And I think you already have the answer. Heck yes. Shout out to Alicia Rudolph for putting together this wonderful panel. Pamela Dunn and Royzen Monahan for sponsoring the series. So without further ado, we'll be back in 90 seconds. Kevin out. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The digital world is moving faster than ever, and the future will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. The definition of future success is being shaped by many factors, such as more digitally demanding employees, customers, and partners, an increasing variety of digital devices, resource scarcity coupled with data abundance, and demand for innovation to help the world run better and improve people's lives. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how moving to the digital world can lead to a better future for everyone. Partnerships, changing the game for digital transformation is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. 
get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You're listening to Partnerships, Changing the Game for Digital Transformation, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Partnerships, Changing the Game for Digital Transformation. Yes, indeed. We are, they are, and we are also tweeting Changing the Game at hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. And if you can forget the hashtag, just add the at sign, the handle, at S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. And you can see the wonderful people who are tweeting what we're saying here on the air. I'm Bonnie D. Graham here with my three X. Excellent, extraordinary, outstanding, smart panelist, Tobias A. Block at Accenture, Owen Pettifer at Back Office Associates, and Paul Madai at SAP. Our topic today is New Digital Realities. Does your data quality matter? I should say really matter, and the answer is heck yes. Let's get into our roundtable right now, and we're going to start off with some notes here from Tobias Block. I'm going to read a little bit, and then Tobias will add to it, and then we will invite the other two panelists for their POV. So Tobias told me before the show, the enterprise system world has shifted from a centralized ERP that's an IT-supported model to one that's cloud-based, line-of-business, platform-driven. And he says, more than ever, the business owns the data and the responsibilities of data-driven decision. That's the core of our topic. Go ahead, Tobias. Tell us more, please. Yeah, so let's look at some background. If we think through you know, the 90s and the early 2000s, you know, all the way, I would say, to maybe, you know, uh, 2012. I would say most large corporations and governments were using a centralized, uh, you know, what they call an enterprise resource uh, platform, right? Like, you know, like an SAP or something equivalent to that, where the HR system and the sales system and the finance system was all one big platform, right? And, and really what's happening these, day, these days is, is the C-suite. So the chief HR officer is choosing his platform, his or her platform. The chief marketing officer is choosing his or her platform. Same with, you know, sales, uh, marketing, finance, et cetera. And so what we get is, is these, you know, we, we went from a, a centralized system to a much more disparate system where the business really gets to choose their platform and then, uh, runs with it, and it's less IT intensive, and that creates a challenge around integrating all those different uh, uh, parts of the business together, right? Because you're not buying one software that does it all. Now you're buying different uh, different softwares from possibly different vendors, um, and you've got much less IT support. I actually think it presents both a challenge in terms of making sure those systems talk to one another and make sure that the data flows. Properly, it also has some benefits, right? In the end of the day, you bought the best of breed. The the chief HR officer, you know, bought the what what they thought was the best HR system possible. A and integration and the flow of data between the different components a, was less of a priority. So I think that is very a, important when we look at a, the data quality and the ownership of data, just to understand where the model has shifted. Thank you very much. Let's get Owen Pettiford to weigh in on this. Owen, thoughts, please. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think the the, the problem has become um, 
more complex in two dimensions. One is that it's now spread across many systems, um, and also that the the depth of information that we're trying to capture about people um, has increased, you know, um, exponentially. So, you know, perhaps ten years ago, companies wanted to know who I was and where I lived. Um, now they're tracking, you know, my buying habits, what I'm doing, whether I went for a job this morning. So that the the depth of data is, is increasing. Um, but I think the the solution is still pretty much the same as it was, I think, ten years ago, which is that we need to have people in the business who own that data and own both the creation and where that data then needs to live across these uh, best-of-breed systems. Because it was great when we had these you know, centralized systems, but they still needed you know, multiple people to collaborate on creating the data. So, so I think in some ways the problems got harder, but the, I, believe, I, guess, I believe the solution is still that we need, I guess whether you call them data owners or data stewards, people who own that data across line of businesses. Otherwise, we get these silos and, and disconnected information. Thank you very much, and let's get Paul Medallion on this. Paul, what do you think? Yeah, right. Uh, they want to know a, a whole lot more about us, even what's in our coffee in there, what's in our cup in the morning. Yeah, um, you know, uh, this is really postmodern ERP, and when we think about customers uh, implementing ERP in the 90s and the 2000s, basically they've been on a 15- to 25-year cycle, and they've, and they've really achieved the value out of their old systems, and I think customers are really looking to um, to refresh the value, to refresh on a new platform, on uh, uh, to take advantage of the new opportunities that are available um, uh, across these different um, new capabilities and new requirements that they have, and um, they the the customers. Um, are definitely facing new challenges for that. They, in some ways, it's cyclical. It's the old challenges uh, reborn, but it is. It does make data quality more critical when it's not centralized in a single location. Thank you very much. And let's circle back to Tobias, who opened this topic for us. Tobias, anything you'd like to add to what Owen and Paul added to your topic? No, I, you know, one thing is that, that term data stored, I think it's getting a lot of airtime air these days, and it's rightfully so. I think, you know, all these items, uh, whether or not it's the, the employees or managers or the line of business folks are entering this data, people need to understand who owns the entry and the maintenance of that. Because uh, without, without that data storedness, or that's not right, without the ownership, you don't really know who's responsible for it, and there's no sense of urgency, right? So definitely um, um, circling back on, on what Owen said, figuring out the data stores uh, and making that part of your enterprise is very important. Thank you very much. And now let's go to a new topic from Owen's list. Owen, I started out talking about IoT, Internet of Things, and I dropped the S word. Aha, sensors. Got you fooled there for a second. Let's talk about this. You say, as the cost of sensors comes down, it's possible to make most things smarter. And you put smarter in quotes. Matching the physical and digital worlds enables better decision-making but it's dependent on the data about physical assets being high quality, which is exactly our topic today. So, Owen, why don't you share your thoughts on this, please? Yeah, I, I think this is where, um, you know, where, where we're starting to collect data about you know, things in our organization, whether they're physical assets, things that our customers are doing, things that third parties are doing in our organization. I guess I just use the smarter to mean that a lot of 
a lot, of, a lot of devices aren't really smart. They're just sending lots of information in. So we still need some central processing um, capability to understand how all those signals are coming together and then to make real-time decisions. <clears throat> now, if the, in, I guess in the, in the pre-digital world, there were potentially people involved in that process who could, you know, spot anomalies, check that things weren't happening, um, you know, stop a, a sales order going out with an incorrect price. But as the volume of transactions increases, that's just not possible to have people people doing those those processes. So, if you haven't got this, if you haven't got that that data quality, then you've not got the the low touch um, transaction processing engine in place, which means that you know you're just not going to get get things to your customers as soon as you can you know so i don't know how you work but if i go to a website and they're not able to tell me you know what's the status of my order what's happening where is it then then not, you know i just don't use those websites anymore i'm using you know apps that let me know things in real time so and sensors are a key part of making that happen very well put. Thank you very much. We hope we don't have to use that website anymore if the data is faulty or not up to date because we would hope there's enough competition in what we want. Am I right, Owen? We hope there's yeah. enough competition Absolutely. that we can, can go somewhere else. Sometimes we get stuck, which is not a happy thing. Let's turn around the table a little bit to Paul Madai at SAP. Paul, please comment on what Owen just introduced. Yeah, you know, the, the smarts really isn't in the data. The smarts is in how you use the data, how you analyze it, what use you make of it. And um, when we think about this, the, the ubiquity of this data and how it's being collected, um, you have to worry about new things like security, the security of the data. We've seen that certainly in our own election here, um, how that data is being used, how you control your own digital profile as, a, as an individual. And, um, you know, that's going to be part, a crucial part of the equation about how customers get, uh, how companies get value from that, and how customers sort of uh, protect themselves from being overexposed. Thank you. Goodness sake, we don't want to do that, do we? No overexposure. Uh, let's circle around the table to Mr. Tobias Block. What do you think, Tobias? No, I, I agree 100 percent with what Paul just said. Right? I think as we start collecting more and more data. Uh, and people trust that data, right? It's not scrambled. It's not pretended. It's, mm-hmm. the, it's the real social security numbers. It's the real paycheck amounts. It's the real credit card numbers. Uh, that there's a sense of, you know, with that great data that allows you to do that low-touch uh, transacting and do make it everything real-time, there's also a sense of responsibility, right? You as a corporational government, now you've got this data. What are you doing to secure it so it doesn't, it doesn't inadvertently get leaked out. Yeah, absolutely. If I can jump yep. in, Paul here. Sure. If, if I can mm-hmm. just jump in, that trust is a two-sided coin, isn't it? We need, you know, on our side, we need to be able to trust the data and um, know that we're using it uh, correctly. On the consumer side, we need to trust uh, the organizations with which we're dealing to uh, to make fair use of our data. Very well put, and trust certainly is a key word that comes into all of this. Owen, do you want to um, comment on anything that your co-panelists said before we move on? Um, I think the security and trust piece is going to um, is going to become key, and perhaps also um, being much more uh, open about what data is stored. About you know not just individuals, but um, but also our partners and um, suppliers as well, and and the. The maintenance of that data becoming something that becomes 
uh, a responsibility of both parties, not just the, the owning party, I think is something we'll see happening. Thank you very much. All well put. Paul Madai, I'm looking at your notes here. I want to read a quote that I'm going to tweet, but this is not where I want to take the conversation, Paul. I'm going to take it to something that is very timely, very topical. I realize my microphone dropped again. I'm so sorry, guys. Okay, so, Paul, the one I want to want to quote you for is you say, data is the heart of an organization and processes are the brains. I'm just going to let that sit for a minute. But the very timely quote I want to pull up here, Paul, and have you talk about is talking about data migration. You say, despite the wealth of experience and information around data migration that companies have accumulated in the past 10 years, there still seems to be resistance to the notion that this should be a core organizational competence. And here's the timely part. Paul says, data migration is not baseball. And yesterday was opening day here. At, yesterday was opening day for the Yankees. I know because I have three friends who were there at the game. He says, a 300 average, or is it .300 average, will not get you to the Baseball Hall of Fame. So, Paul, why don't you give us this explanation of the data-slash-baseball metaphor and then tell us what you're talking about. Yeah, that, uh, great great question. You know, we were talking earlier about postmodern ERP and that companies are really uh, uh, re-implementing across this new model. Um, that means that they have to populate the data in these new systems, and that means data migration. That means moving the data from one place to another. And there are also other drivers of data migration. This is a topic I love to talk about. Um, you know, every time we go through a merger uh, uh, or an acquisition, a divestiture, any time we do any kind of business transformation initiative, green initiatives, we have to go through a data migration project. So there are lots of drivers for this, and data migration uh, projects are going to keep keep popping up in um, every organization's landscape. So if data migration, and by data migration, I mean not just moving the data in the correct format, but really making sure that whatever you're going live on, you're going live with really high-quality, usable, um, very good data. If you're not good at that, if you don't have that as a core business competence, you're constantly going to be catching up, um, you know, coming from behind, trying to remediate the issues that really you should have taken care of during the data migration itself. So um, I love to proselytize, maybe uh, preach uh, uh, about the data migration excellence uh, being a core competence for, co- for companies, necessary one. A necessary, very necessary, and that's what we're, we're trying to get across here. Thank you very much, Paul. Let me circle around the table to Tobias Block. Tobias, do you agree or disagree that data migration should actually be a core competency of an organization? And what organizations are we talking about? Every single one? So I, I agree. What I would add, Bonnie, is that, you know, if I think of, you know, migration is a great opportunity to, to clean up the data, you know, you're going to start fresh somewhere else. You're going to transform the data, you're going to load it, and, you know, that first day you're going to go live with a a new system and pristine data. That's great. But then there is everything that follows, right? And as soon as that system is live, people start transacting in it, and you're trying to make the systems nice and and easy to use, nice and loose, you know, let the employees and managers and customers, you know, enter as quickly as possible, move on with their day. And so you need, in my opinion... A, some way of ensuring that that data quality stays as high as it was at goal line. And I think, uh, you know, we talked about it, the data store uh, was important there, uh, having ownership and, and a competency around maintaining and cleaning that data is important, having the tools 
uh, to be able to sense when data is starting to uh, digress in quality is important. So yes, go live, super important, but then think about what is, you know, what does the rest, the next 10 years look like in terms of keeping that data clean. Yes. Thank you very and much. If, yeah, who's, if I can who's respond talking? to that, uh, uh, Bobby, mm-hmm. quickly, um, really, um, you know, what we're talking about here is governance, information governance. And the great thing is I think that a data migration pro- uh, process project for a company that's looking for a way to get going with an information governance initiative, a data migration project is a great stepping stone, a great on-ramp uh, into an information governance uh, initiative. So I, I think it, I, I think he's absolutely right, and it, they're synergistic between uh, governance and migration. Thank you very much, and let's see if we get Owen Pettifer in here. Owen, thoughts about what we're discussing here? Yeah, I mean, I, I always think that data migration perhaps is the, um, is the lonely or the, the left-out third child. I mean, if you think about the way poor quality data you can get into your systems, you can, you can enter it into your systems, and there's lots of people out there worrying about user experience and validation and governance processes. You can interface stuff into your systems, and again, that's a real hot topic around the APR economy and how that's all going to be governed. But the data migration is the piece that kind of get left, gets left out. And if you're an organization that doesn't think you're going to you know, acquire somebody or divest part of your organization in the next 10 years, then kind of what are you doing? So rather than seeing data migration as this one-off exercise, I think um, Paul's hit the nail on the head. Seeing this as, a, as an ongoing you know, competency that your organization should have is, a, is, is, is spot on in my opinion. Thank you very much. Paul, any comments you want to make before I move on? I think um, I, I think I've uh, I, I've made my point. Okay, thank you very much. And Tobias, I'm I'm looking here at we're talking about quality data and keeping it quality. And I want to make a point here. I'm going to quote you, Tobias. You say the speed at which business decisions are expected is constantly accelerating. So don't slow down, don't slack off. But here's very interesting. You say this means it is often not an option to ask for a timeout to validate or clean out data before decisions are made. Are companies still doing this, Tobias? Do you find companies say, wait a minute, we can't give that report. We've got to go clean out 10 billion petabytes of data, blah, blah, blah. H- how, how is this happening in, in real world? Is it still happening? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it, my wife uh, is in the telecom space. And, you know, I, I know almost on a daily basis her VPs ask her for specific trends uh, in, in her industry. And, and, you know, sometimes, you, you know, you're suspect you're suspect of the data, right? Uh, you know, is it going to give the right story? Uh, so I know it's happening in many industries. In my own industry, then I, I focus specifically around HR and payroll. You know, people are expecting their check in their bank account when exactly they're expecting it. That, you know, that's what your employees, um, and, you know, that is their basic expectation. And you can't go and say, well, you know what, I don't really know whether or not the salary is right or whether or not these deductions are right or whether or not... Uh, you know, we've calculated our benefits uh, correctly, you've got to run payroll and you don't have a, a lot of time to go and uh, cleanse the data. And so you need, you know, if you're running payroll every couple of weeks, you need to have a daily process by which you're analyzing the data, figuring out where, uh, where you've got suspicious transactions, uh, fix it so that when they, you know, the day before payroll runs, uh, you can run it without any interruptions. Uh, I think it's true for just about every aspect of you know, the corporate and government line of business, right? Whether or not it's payroll, sales, uh, uh, finance, you've got to stay ahead 
of the data cleanup uh, to do. Let me add one more statement from your notes here, Tobias, because I think this adds nicely onto what we were just talking about, and then we'll get Owen and Paul to chime in. You say, as back office functions get pushed out to the front office, employees and managers all become co-authors of the data and the transactions. More and more, it is the novices versus the experts, or who used to be experts, who enter and maintain corporate data. This has new benefits and risks. You want to quickly add on to that, expand that for me, Tobias, and I'd love to see what Owen and Paul have to say. Yeah, sure. I'll give you a real example, right? So, Mm -hmm. again, going back to the HR space, it used to be that you know, all the, the core HR transactions would always happen by an HR professional, you know, a benefit admin professional, a, you know, the hiring, a, the hiring manager, the, the head of payroll or the people working in the payroll department, et cetera. And what's, what's happened over the last, I would say, 15, 20 years is we push more and more towards, you know, what they call employee self-service, manager self-service. So basically, we started expecting managers and employees to do some of the stuff that the core HR people used to do, you know, the, the HR professionals. And, you know, that has some benefits for sure, because now as an employee, uh, you know, if you've changed your, you know, you, you want to change your, who your beneficiaries are, well, who better to know who your beneficiaries are than your employee, right? As opposed to, you know, somebody that's the HR professional. Well, so there's benefit in terms of being able to update their data in real time. But, you know, that employee or manager doesn't necessarily know how the HR payroll system works. So you just stick this, you know, wrong information in this field, how, what the implications are. And so there is benefit to pushing those responsibilities out to the field. Uh, but there's also risk. And that's where, uh, you know, to, towards what Paul and, and, uh, and Owen mentioned is you need to figure out, the, you know, the governance model so that you can still push this responsibility out to the field, but still have some insurance policy around keeping the data clean. Thank you very much. Owen Pettifer, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, please. Um, I think we've kind of covered the governance topic. I think it is making systems cleverer so that they don't just rely on an expert user so that the data is being, you know, not, not just validated at the point of entry, but being routed between, potentially between different parties to make sure data is approved. Um, but I think for me, it kind of goes a step further that, you know, Tobias talks about there's no, no time for this timeout to validate the data. As we move into predictive models and machine learning, you know, if you teach your machine learning algorithm with data that is of poor quality, then what do you think the output of the machine learning algorithm is going to be if you do the same thing with predictive analytics? So, so I think there's a, there's a kind of bigger topic now, which is that we're just not going to have the time to start to, to, to call the time out because the, the, the machines are going to be talking to the machines. They're not going to be talking to human beings. You know, so that's, a, I guess, it, it, in some ways that kind of frightens me as a prospect but also excites me as to the, as to the things we can achieve um, if we let the, you know, the power of computing um, operate without, without human um, latency. Excited and frightened. Paul Madai, I'd love to get your thoughts, please. Yeah, Owen, oh, uh, uh, it sounds like Skynet is going live. Um, yeah, you know, the rise of the citizen steward is uh, a, a really interesting development, and, and I think Tobias nailed it um, when he talks about pushing that out. And, and now that, that idea, you know, there's a sort of an idea that um, security is everybody's job. I think we need to have a similar idea within our organizations that data quality is everybody's job and um, make sure that uh, everybody is rowing in the same direction. 
because more and more it's not the expert, it's the individual who is responsible for entering and maintaining data. Thank you very much. Who was I up to? That was Paul. And um, anything from you, Tobias, before I pick up another topic here? I want to do a forward-looking topic. Tobias, are you good with this discussion? I am, but I, I, similar to Paul, I was a little bit afraid of uh, the rise, you know, the rise of the machines here with Terminator walking in. It, it is, it, you know, <laughs> yeah, I think it even makes us who are, you know, quote-unquote experts a, a little bit scared about the prospects, right? Okay, talking about prospects, that's a good good uh, segue for me here. Um, Owen, I'm looking at your notes. I want to talk about predictive. Just I'm going to read a couple statements here. We have about three minutes left till we go into our predictions round, so I think this is a good place. Maybe we'll have you start the crystal ball predictions. So Owen Pettiford says in his notes, making predictions about demand buying habits and offers absolutely requires accurate data. It's the old adage, garbage in, garbage out, but in a truly digital value chain, any errors are exposed in real time and can damage your company's reputation and trust. Owen, why don't we make this into your prediction statement, if you don't mind? Well, you know what? We're two minutes. Comment on this, and then we'll go around the table for predictions. What do you think, Owen? What does this all mean to us? Well, I think predictive is what's going to make the systems that people use, you know, truly intelligent so that rather than having people have to do, you know, repetitive tasks and, and work things out, you know, the system should be making these predictions and, and therefore making the services that they deliver, you know, more robust. You know, I've just had a terrible experience with our, our uh, telecoms provider here in the UK, just, just an utter uh, failure in their, their ability to have any kind of accurate data um, and therefore deliver, you know, any kind of service to me. And I, and I think companies that do that, you know, they just lose that trust. I think um, Paul and Tobias have both talked about trust being an important part of what's going to make the digital um, the digital, digital winners in, the, in their digital transformation. So, so prediction's got to be a key part of making things easier for human beings. There you go. And, uh, Paul, I think we have a moment for you to comment on that before we formally go into our predictions. What do you think? Yeah, you know, definitely machine learning. Uh, um, the 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 uh, artificial intelligence, prescriptive analytics, um, all of those are um, hopefully going to make our systems smarter, so that we we have a, a you know a lot more help because the data will be coming so fast. It's not going to be a manual process. It, it can't be. There you go. Talking about baseball, wind up that arm. It can't come that fast. Uh, who do we have left on that? Let me see. Tobias, quickly, any thoughts on that before I start the predictions crystal ball with you? Any quick comments on what uh, Owen just started for us? Tobias? No, I'm just, I'm just really excited about the whole prediction section. Uh, okay. We are officially in the crystal ball predictions lightning round. There you go. I can give you a whole 90 seconds because I'm in a really good mood. No, we have a little extra time here. We covered a lot of territory. Tobias, a block at Accenture. I love the year 2020 because we've been talking about it for so long. And somebody pointed out to me recently, 2020 is only three New Year's Eves away. You might want to get that bottle of champagne ready and figure out what you you're wearing and where you're going to party. So, Tobias Block, take a look at 2020. What will be different about data quality, data migration, digital transformation, any or all of the above? 90 seconds, predictions, go. So I think the key, the key thing that's going to be different is, I, think, I still think we're going to be talking about data quality, but I think more and more machine learning, artificial intelligence, 
it's going to take this, the role of, of the human being in terms of a, highlighting what is not complete or inconsistent or doesn't smell right, for lack of a better word, right? I think today, today when we go through data quality, we've got a lot of human interaction around saying, you know, it just doesn't make sense a, to have this type of employee and this type of salary getting this type of benefits, for example. Something is not right with the data. And you've got a human being kind of analyzing that. I think more and more we're going to use artificial intelligence to look at a data set and say, look, if 90% of this data is right, then through the relationships between all the data, we're going to be able to identify the 10% of it that is suspect and then probably come up with a possible a, a scenarios of, of different answers for that last 10% and then probably get it validated to say, look, I don't think this last 10% is right. Here's what I think uh, we should store in this data set. You know, here's what I think you meant in terms of the address. We see that right now when we, you know, auto-populate the transaction screen uh, where the computer system highlights for us to say, look, this is what I think you meant to say. Can you confirm? So more and more artificial intelligence and machine learning is going to take the role of the QA manager uh, around data quality. And by the way, I'm going to toss in a quick Bill Gates quote here. The robot that takes your job should pay taxes. Let's just leave that one on the table. I had to get that one in here. Owen Pettiford at Back Office Associates, I can give you 90 seconds as well. What do you predict around the year 2020 for discussions about data quality? Owen, go ahead. I think we're going to see a lot more regulation in the next um, two or three years where um, you know, data quality will stop being um, uh, an, an option for organizations they're going to be expected and we're already seeing that in the UK um, with with um, personal data where people are expected to understand you know where did the data come from how was it created so I think to a certain degree whether organizations like it or not um, they're going to be forced to take a, a much bigger look at their at how they're managing their data and and how they're able to to prove the lineage and the quality of that data um, so, so, so I guess that's the, the gloomier side. I, I, I think on the upside, um, we're going to see an explosion in, in the amount of data, but I think we're also going to see a generation of um, line of business people who understand what they can do with that data um, and where human beings are very uh, adaptable and can cope with poor quality data as they start trying to use the, the, the predictive and machine learning. These systems are just less, um, uh, what's the word, uh, less able to cope with poor quality data. So I think we'll see the business starting to see that they can make it, take advantage of data um, and then that will, will mean that there'll be a positive push to get data quality plus a regulation push to get data quality. And hopefully both of those together will, um, will get us to a position where we can have trust in, that, in data with the organizations we're dealing with. Thank you very much, Paul Madai. I saved about 60 seconds for you for predictions. I warned you they might go long, so that's what I got. Go ahead, Paul, predict, please. Yeah, so I think uh, my prediction is that by 2020, we're going to have some help. We're going to see um, better tooling to help organizations with this more sophisticated tooling. Uh, so the, uh, the technology is catching up with the problem, and that's great, uh, uh, great news. My other prediction is this, though, and it's sort of a negative prediction. For organizations that don't start now or haven't started yet, getting a handle on data quality and really getting uh, on top of this, they're going to be spending so much money in 2020 on remediation that they won't be able to effectively compete in their um, industry against their competitors who have addressed this, uh, this problem. Thank you very much. 
Big thank you to Tobias A. Black at Accenture, Owen Pettiford at Back Office Associates, Paul Mandai at SAP. It's been a real pleasure and a privilege speaking with the three of you and gleaning your words of wisdom and your insights, and I really appreciate your engagement in the topic. Again, shout-out to the organizer of this show today, Alicia Rudolph. Thank you, Alicia. Shout-out to Pamela Dunn, who's doing a fellowship somewhere, and Royzen Monahan. Thank you to Pamela and Royzen for sponsoring this series. And a shout-out to all of our tweeters. My goodness, we have so many people tweeting. If you want to see all of the quotes of words of wisdom, uh, we have Camila Dahlin and we have, oh my goodness, Alicia Rudolph, Jason Averbrook, recent panelist. Oh my goodness, a lot of people here. Hashtag SAP Radio. Appreciate it, everyone. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go clean that data right now. You might need a seatbelt for that. And while you're at it, go out and be a game changer today, just like Tobias, just like Owen, and just like Paul. Shout out to Kevin at World Talk Radio, our engineer today. Have a great one, everyone. I'll be back tomorrow morning, 11 a.m. Eastern, here on the Business Channel with a new edition of Coffee Break with Game Changers. You don't want to miss it. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Partnerships, Changing the Game for Digital Transformation, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Tuesdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.